Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. July has always been a pivotal month of the year, the halfway point where we look back at the events of the last six months and look ahead to the potential of the second half. In a way, it's a snapshot of our theme for 45 Forward, looking forward to the second half of life that hopefully will be even better than the first. But as we close the books in the first half of 2022, there are lots of worries about our uncertain future, especially the economy. Inflation is at the highest level since 1981. We're in shock over gas and food prices and supply chain disruptions. The S&P 500 experienced its worst first half decline in five decades, actually. Not to mention the troubling impact of the war in Ukraine and continuing questions about the state of COVID, both home and abroad. Where on earth are we headed? In today's episode, we talk with Michael Hartsman, a Wall Street veteran who specializes in retirement planning, education, elder and estate planning, life insurance, and long-term care. Michael is the co-host of a national weekly business podcast, The Leventhal Report, a business show that keeps investors informed about the current market conditions, opportunities, and risks, breaking down today's complex stories into easily understood concepts. Michael will offer insights into how we can continue to face the ongoing anxieties during the next phases of our life, whether it's the next few months or the next few years, providing the income to meet the expenses of a fulfilling retirement while also putting money aside for things that keep us up at night, the inevitable uh-ohs and the, I didn't see that coming. Ultimately, his goal is to help us create and sustain a low stress plan for our financial success and security. So now... It's a pleasure to introduce my guest, Michael Hartsman. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. No problem. So let's just sort of dive right into it. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I'd like to talk a little bit more about you and your career, but, but let's, let's put that aside for a moment and just get into what everyone is worried about, which is what is going on. And it just seems like there's so much stuff, you know, inflation higher, you know, unemployment lower, but so when you, when a client comes to see you these days, what, what, what's your general picture you get to him or her? You know, Ron, the, the general perception right now is that there's just a general malaise and a, and a general cloud hanging over the economy, which is really interesting to me because, because back in 2020, when, when the shutdown happened, you know, the, the market went down a lot further, a lot quicker. But people could put their head around that because it was a crisis. Right. They could put their head around 2011 because it was a crisis. 2001, obviously, was the terrorist attacks. People tend to forget that the market actually started going down in April of 2000. Right. So what I try, when I try to explain to my clients now that this is just an economic cycle that is normal, it's a normal economic cycle, people intellectually understand that. But to your point, they go, that's great. When's it going to be over? Right. And am I going to get through this? Right, right. Yeah. And, and you basically say, yes, you will. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, you will. Mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned something 
which is really spot on um, in the open. You, you know, you you mentioned the uh ohs. You mentioned I didn't see that coming. But the first question I ask people, clients, is: Has anything changed for you? What's your time horizon? Right. I had a client in here Saturday morning. Um, you know, he, he just through surviving cancer. Mm. He's in his he's sixties. And then I said to him, I said, you know, are you retiring soon? He goes, yeah, I'm planning on retiring in four months. Mm. So, so that's not an, uh Oh, that's what we've been preparing for for 15 years as clients. But now we have to reposition his portfolio where it went from accumulation to income. Mm-hmm. So for me, Ron, the, the most important question I ask is what has changed for you? And let's talk about whether your current portfolio is still appropriate for what we're trying to accomplish today. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's really key, Michael. I think that, um, but where are you and where are you with respect to changing? I mean, people, I think, um, take a little while to catch up to sometimes. You know, I think that we think, we think of life as basically static and then changes as opposed to, well, it's always kind of changing. <laughs> Are you adapting quick enough to those changes? Whether you do something about it, you may not have to, but are you aware of it? Are you prepared for it? You know, and, you know, one of my, you know, watch word um, slogans is, you know, prepare, don't predict or plan, don't predict. Cause you can't really, you know, you don't know it's going to happen, but you can't have contingency plans. Uh, and generally, it's a few of them, right? Because usually plan A is not quite where you thought it was going to go. So what's your plan and, and what's what are your backup plans? Right. As a certified financial planner, right, that's my, that's, that's my approach whenever I get a new client is try to look at their situation from 30,000 feet in the air. And then, and then look at their objectives. I'll give you another example of the conversation I had Saturday morning. This couple has a sizable um, savings that's liquid, and they have sizable retirement accounts, which is good for them. And they also have projects that they want to get done. So large chunks of money will be coming out of their joint account. Right. And the client said to me, well, I want to start taking my income from my joint account first. And to use your quote again from your open, I said, well, what about your uh-oh money? Or what about your stuff happens money? And I may not have used the word stuff, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> right. And and I said, I prefer that we take the, the income from the retirement accounts. That's why you accumulated all this money. And I want you to keep your joint account for the stuff that pops up, both good and bad, mm-hmm. where you need to take larger chunks out because you want to be tax sensitive. You don't want to call me up and say, I'm re- I need a new roof. I need $30,000 because your roof is not going to cost you 30. It's going to cost you $45,000 once we get done paying the taxes if we take that from your retirement right. account. Right. So that's my job to explain to people not only, you know, we have this money, but where do, what's the best use of it and where do we take it from for this or that? Right, right. Now, 
you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of talk right now about inflation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we zero in too much on one specific thing, you know, and we're a little focused too much on that and can't see the picture around it. But talk a little bit about that. How, how, how much should we think about inflation in terms of not only right now, but, but in terms of its future impact on our, you know, on our savings and our investment strategies? So I'm glad you asked me that. Um, the, the, and I think the reason there's such a focus on inflation, Ron, is as good a job, in my opinion, that the Federal Reserve did when the pandemic first happened and, and they shut down the economy and they threw ton, the Federal Reserve threw a ton of money at the problem. They kept liquidity flowing mm-hmm. and they kept the economy afloat, which is why the stock market and the economy kind of rebounded very quickly, right. even in the midst of a, of a shutdown. I think the misstep that the Federal Reserve took is about a year ago, maybe nine, 10 months ago, they were labeling inflation transitory, okay. which was code for short term right. or temporary. Right. And most, most econ- economists, most people in my business really felt that inflation was not transitory. There were, there were some things that were more permanent, whether it was supply chain issues, like you mentioned, right. the rising price of oil. So if we look back at January of this year, the Federal Reserve acknowledged there was a little inflation, air quotes, little inflation, and they felt that two interest rate hikes of 25 basis points or a quarter point each would solve the inflation problem. So we went into the new year expecting two interest rate hikes of a quarter point each. Within weeks, the Fed had pivoted where it was now seven inflation hikes. And and the last one, I'm sorry, interest rate hikes, I apologize. And the last one was three quarters of a point. So people should be concerned about inflation because the consumer price index, which is the overall measure of inflation, is is really at a 50-year high. And and the Federal Reserve has to get aggressive. They were aggressive last month. The expectation is they'll be aggressive again this month. And they have to get the CPI down below eight. And and they have to get inflation under control. Um, Food and energy has gone through the roof in the last couple of years. Right. Now, how much of that, though, is, you know, somewhat transitory in the sense that, I mean, things were shut down. So they people talk about, well, so there are too, too many dollars chasing too few goods, right? The demand was up. People hadn't spent. So now they're starting to spend. So that was driving up inflation. And, and also things, especially with respect to energy, I think energy costs have been going up generally. But I think that, you know, it was certainly exacerbated by the by the pandemic mm-hmm. and then that a lot of the refineries because the demand had gone down were shut and they and you can't just you know rev them up um quickly you know plus the fact i think you know that that's the general trend line because i think that you know i mean fossil fuels you know i think we need them you know i think that one of my concerns is that while well, you can say well there's a long-term concern because of climate change you still have to have a somewhat orderly transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. I'm not advocating a planned economy. I'm just saying, you know, we need to think about this carefully and and just fact 
factored in like this. We need to do this in a, in a systemic, systematic way over many years to make this transition. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about it, but I think we shouldn't be surprised by the inflationary impact of energy prices. I agree with you. And I also, to your point, it's a little disappointing to me that everything becomes political. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, you know, one side of the aisle is blaming, you know, the other side because pipelines were shut down and, and, the, and, and, you know, the Republicans think the Democrats want to kill big oil and, 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 you know, and want to save the environment and, and these pipelines getting shut down is what created these shortages. And then, and the Democratic side, if, you know, I'm old enough to remember the Build Back Better bill of, mm. from a year ago, right. where, where that no one even talks about that anymore. But right. one, you know, that was, you know, the overall euphemism there was infrastructure. But a lot of that, Ron, was to build charging stations, make charging stations more ubiquitous. Right. So you're 100% right. There has to be a blend between between you know being so energy dependent and having the money and the resources and the willpower to make charging stations um, more useful and 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 basically more places, but right now I think the high price of of gas goes back to your point. It was a supply chain issue. They shut down these refineries for many many months. People weren't going anywhere and get these things up and running overnight. Right, right. And, and I think that in some cases, you, you just need to make adjustments and just, you know, I mean, like, okay, uh, I, I'm not going to drive that much. Or I'm going to be careful about driving that much. Um, so just uh, taking a little bit of a sidestep here, is, uh, but to, to your point before about things going in cycles. So that's one thing I, I want to just talk a little bit more about, because as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, if, if the guy, the gentleman you were talking about, you know, is going to retire in four months, obviously, uh, you know, a steep decline in the stock market has more impact now. It's, so it is a matter of, you know, timing and your cycle of life. But what should we th- be thinking about more broadly in terms of cycles? One of the things that occurred to me uh, is that, you know, especially with, with respect to inflation now, you know, so people think, we're shocked because of the suddenness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of our reaction is uh, is, a, is about circumstantial, you know, like we're not expecting that again. So because if you look back in the early 80s, you know, as, as Reagan came into office, um, again, it was just happened. He just happened to come into office. It wasn't because of him, but it was that time. You know, if you factor in, you know, the, the inflation calculator, I think inflation at the time was the equivalent of like, you know, 14.8%. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, inf- inflation does go up and down. Um, the soda cycles in the economy. Um, and I think that, you know, we've had a pretty strong economy for a much longer period than I think we expected. So how should we think about these cycles in terms of what are, what are reasonable expectations for, okay, don't panic. The economy is, is due to slow. Right. That's the one thing that people have to remember. And I have this conversation all the time with my clients. I ask them, do you know why the, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates? Do you know why? And, and, and 
more often than not, the response will be no, tell me why. Okay. And when I tell them it's because the economy's too strong, you know, it takes a few seconds for that to uh, to sink in. Right. Right. We're going through these problems at the moment because the economy is actually too strong. And the goal of the Federal Reserve is to tap on the brakes to slow the economy down, to slow inflation down. And the way they do that is by raising interest rates. So I have clients of a certain age who will tell me when, when, when they bought their first house, you know, they, they had a mortgage of 15% or they could buy a CD for 12%. And they asked me if we're going to go back to those, those, those rates. And the answer is no. And the reason the answer is no in terms of cycles because people have to remember that this Federal Reserve has a much longer runway. They started raising interest rates, Ron, basically at zero. Right. So back in the early 80s, Paul Volcker and his Federal Reserve didn't have that luxury. So when you're starting from zero, you have that much of a runway, the likelihood of interest rates going even to double digits is really very, very remote. Right. Um, so, so given that, um, how should we be thinking about, again, I'm not, I know this is not a show to give specific financial advice. Okay. But, but what, what is your, what are your thoughts? Uh, a couple of thoughts before we go to a break, Michael, about, uh-huh. um, our short-term investing strategies, you know, it, for, for example, if, especially if you're about to retire fairly soon. So, Ron, it's about it's about time horizon, and I'd love to get into this on the other side of the break. What we didn't talk about is the bond market has been miserable this year. Okay. All right. So let's okay. let's get into that a little bit on the other side of the break. But to answer your question right now, it is about time horizon. It is about goal setting. It is about having reasonable expectations. What is your withdrawal rate, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're retiring, do I need to send you 5% of your retirement savings right. a year? Do I need to send 2%? Do I need to send you 7%? So my job is a level set expectations. It's the client's job to understand those expectations. And together, if we make a plan that, that we're, we have a withdrawal rate that is normal, or not exceeding, you know, where I have to make a client six or 7% a year, they should just be patient, not panic, because the market goes up way more times than it goes down on an annual basis. Right, right. So let's see now. Um, I think, uh, yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Oh, I think we'll head into the middle of this break. Uh, but uh, uh, why don't we uh, actually? Uh, why, why don't we t- take our short break now, uh, and then when we come back, we'll be talking much more about uh, short-term investing strategies over the next few years. Uh, so, folks, uh, we'll, be, we'll be coming right back, talking much more with Michael Hartsman, the president of Labenthal Financial Services. Uh, so, don't go anywhere. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety channel the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you're listening to 45 forward to reach ron roel or his guest on the program please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com that's ron.roel at gmail.com now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Michael Hartsman, the uh, co-host of a national weekly business podcast, The Leventhal Report, a business show that keeps investors informed about the current market conditions and breaks down <clears throat> today's complex stories into easily understood concepts. And Michael, before we go on, uh, just t- tell the listeners w- when they can listen to your, uh, your podcast. So our Which show is also is- on, the, on, the, on the same uh radio network as this show is yes so we're, we're we're on voice america just like you are we're on the business channel at 5 p.m eastern standard time tuesdays um live so we're doing a show tomorrow um at 5 p.m uh two o'clock pacific time right so again a national show you, you can listen to it anywhere in the country uh and the world actually since we're on the internet and, uh, and as with my show, you can uh, listen to your shows uh, on demand as well. Is that right? Yes. Voice America does a great job of sending us both the analytics. And, and Ron, since day one, we always get a report. There were 12 people in China that listened to our show. <laughs> I don't know who those 12 people are, but I'd like to thank them right now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So before the break, we started to talk a little bit about the bond market. So let's continue on that, you know, because that's, as you said, the bond market's been miserable. But talk about, you know, equities versus bonds and, and, and how we think about keeping a balanced portfolio. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because that is that is really the primary conversation I have literally every day now with clients. Because you mentioned before we went to the break, a balanced portfolio and a balanced portfolio should be some mix of stocks and bonds, depending on how how risky or safe you want to be. If you want to be safer, you would buy more bonds, whether they're corporate bonds, government bonds, municipal bonds, convertible bonds, bonds come in all shapes and sizes. And typically, again, nine out of 10 times, bonds are that safe haven. There's the old axiom when stock prices go up, bond values go down and vice versa. The problem, Ron, is not only did the stock market lose faith in the Federal Reserve earlier this year about their ability to control inflation and their ability to raise interest rates quick enough 
the bond market lost faith as well. And the bond market sold off at an unprecedented rate. We, we, you know, we keep going back to, you know, five decades ago, and it's the same thing with this. This was the worst bond market we saw since the 80s. And the average bond investment at its low was down about 10 to 11% year to date, which normally a bad bond market is down two or 3%. So they're really, for the first half of the year, Ron, where really was nowhere to hide. Mm-hmm. So my partner and I decided we were going to raise a lot of cash. Uh, we, 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 we were not going to use the bond market because clients would be just as affected. So in our typical model, um, when we manage for clients, we have between 20 and 25% cash right now, which is a large cash position. It's unprecedented for us because we're also waiting for some signs that the bond market is starting to calm down, which it is right now, Mm -hmm. Um, with the Federal Reserve being a little bit more aggressive, with the 10-year Treasury, which seems to be the the benchmark that most bond buyers follow, starting to level off a little bit, the bond market also has begun to calm down. Now, we have not made back that 11%, and I don't know if we will this year, but but that's been a huge part of the problem, Ron, is there's been nowhere to hide this year. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot. Sorry. No, so, no, 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 not at all. Sometimes, sometimes there isn't any place to hide. So that you yeah. basically doesn't yeah. happen that often. Because right. even, you know, even in even in 2001, you know, other than a short period of time where the bond market kind of disconnected from reality, you know, the bond market got its it's footing again and, and stabilized. So it's taken a while, but it is finally stabilizing a little bit now. Right, right. Well, given this sort of uncertain position, I mean, we've talked about the uh-ohs before. Um, so let's talk, expand on that a little bit in terms of, you know, how much money should you have, you know, as, as part of an emergency? Obviously, it depends a lot on your individual situation, but, you know, uh, I think that most of us, and I'm, I think about myself included, uh, perhaps don't quite have enough money set aside for contingencies or if something happens over the next three to six months or a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much liquidity should we have in, in a sort of an emergency or contingency situation? You said it, six months. Six months. Okay. Right, That's the old standard bearer of, you know, that's six months of emergency money. And what does that include? That includes your mortgage, your car payment, your food, you know, all the fixed expenses that you have. You, you should have six months set aside for that oh, oh, oh money. And it doesn't necessarily have to be at the bank, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be a wad of cash. It, it could easily be with your financial advisor. You know, it could be just make sure it's liquid, right? You know, six months emergency money should not come from your retirement account. Because as I mentioned before, especially if you're under 59 and a half or you're not taking money from your retirement account, whenever you do, it's taxable. So if you can, if you can't, you can't. If it has to be in your retirement account, fine. But you should always have six months of money, in my opinion, off to the side that's not exposed to the market that you could get to if you had to. Right, right. Okay. Now, you know, so you, and you, you work with other professionals and I know you're involved not only in, you know, on the financial investment side, but also just sort of the general planning side. Mm -hmm. So let's shift a little bit, Michael, and talk about how you think about, 
you know, the investment side along with, you know, sort of the other uh, life insurance and estate planning and long-term care issues. How do you think about that in conjunction with your short and long-term investment plan for clients? So you're right. As a certified financial planner, my training is not just look at the investment side, but to be more holistic and look at, uh, especially long-term care with an aging population. And, mm-hmm. and obviously, Ron, my clients are a little older because you know they're the ones who have the assets, right? So I'm helping people who have right. money to invest. And we always have that long-term care conversation. And clients will always say to me, well, I don't think I can afford it. Or, you know, they may have a fatalistic attitude. My father died young. I'm going to die young. And, you know, people are living longer now. Obviously, technology is is much improved. So whenever I sit with a client, we always talk about, you know, do they do have long-term care? Do they have life insurance? Um, Is the long-term care, has the long-term care adapted with them? Mm -hmm. Because the problem, Ron, with long-term care is the insurance companies are always sending policyholders letters that they're going to raise their premium, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So, so clients, and I may not have even sold them the policy, but they're my client now, will always ask me, well, should I get rid of this? And mm-hmm, my first instinct mm-hmm. is, no, you've been paying for this for 15 to 20 years. This is exactly what the insurance company wants you to do. They've given you options. Let's explore the option. If you bought a long-term care policy in your 50s, the inflation rider was critical. But if you're now 75, maybe you don't need the inflation rider. Maybe we could save money there. So so having that long-term care conversation, either with a new client who's younger, who's 45 years old, to consider purchasing one, or an older client, and learning how we can modify that to make sure it still fits into their budget. Right. And I think that I've just experienced some of this on my own side, but also I've heard people talk about as you get older too, using, you know, or converting a long, uh, a life insurance policy into a hybrid policy to be able to Mm -hmm. use it for long-term care. Right. Yes. If you have, if you have a policy with cash value in it, Right. You know, you could go to that issuer of the policy or a brand new company, do what's called a 1035 exchange mm-hmm. and, and and move a chunk of money over and buy a hybrid policy. You know, we we refer them every now and again as, as you buying a bucket of money rather mm-hmm. than just long term care or a death benefit. That bucket of money could be used either or. But you have to remember something. This is really important. Okay. If you do that. More often than not, you have to do new underwriting. Okay. You just can't call the insurance company and say, hey, I have this old insurance policy that has 50000 in cash value. I want, I'd like to add a long-term care rider. Right. The insurance companies, you know, they're, they're, the, um, they're the bankers at the casino. So mm-hmm. they make bets that they want to win. So right. you would have to go through new underwriting if you wanted to do that. Right. Right. But it is something to consider. Right. Right. And then, and I guess there's a, a new cost to that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think it's uh, certainly, um, you know, the, 
again, if, if you're at the casino and you're betting, the, the bet is that you're going to need some sort of long-term care. You know, I think mm-hmm. that the the odds are, you know, at least the the statistics seem to show that, you know, two thirds of us, but by the time we reach 65 and beyond, are going to need some sort of long-term care. I'm not sure, you know, what that form is going to take, but it's likely that, that we're going to need that at some point. So it's not a it's not a bad bet to to, to take that into consideration. No, not n- not at all. And 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 furthermore, you know, the trend has really changed where where most people want to be home, mm-hmm. right? They 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 don't want to go go to a nursing home or or, or re- a facility if they can a- avoid it. And secondly, by bu- getting one of these hybrid policies, the consumer, the policyholder, is assured that someone is going to get something right? because the other criticism of long-term care is why well, I paid for this policy for 20 years. And what happens if I just, you know, drop dead in my sleep, right? And no one gets anything. So those hybrid policies is a way for either you or your survivors to know that whatever you put into the policy, there would be some benefit coming out. Right. 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 And I think it seems to me too, that I, you know, I, now, I don't have it now because I'm beyond age 65, but I think sort of in in the 45 forward is the years, there is a considerable number of years where in some ways a disability policy is important, right? Because, you know, you, you know, that's the, the thing you're worried about, not necessarily dying, but if something happens to you, you know, and you're on disability for a while, mm-hmm. um, you know, where's the income replacement? So. Is that something you deal with as well, Michael? Or is that- I do deal. I do deal with disability and insurance. Um, over the years, that has become increasingly more difficult to, to underwrite as well. Hmm. The restrictions restrictions have become um, more rigorous in terms of you qualifying for a disability claim. But yes, um, considering a disability policy, especially someone in their forties. Um, is something that should always be considered if they could afford it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, now you you mentioned earlier just about you know people wanting to you know a change in long term care in terms of people wanting to uh, you know remain in their homes and they're you know as opposed to going into a facility. So how should we think of our home as part of our overall investment strategy? I mean. Um, I think one of the issues is how long should we stay in our homes? Is this something that you deal with clients? Like, well, how does housing fit into your, not only your lifestyle, but your financial planning? Oh my God, all the time. Um, I can't, I've lost count of how many clients, Ron, you and I are both Long Islanders. Um, I've lost count of how many, how many of my clients are in North Carolina, South mm-hmm. Carolina, and Florida who fled Long Island. Um, and again, the first question I always ask them when they move is I ask them, are they going into some type of, of assisted facility or one that has that in the future? Right. Are they going into a ranch? Are they getting rid of the steps? Um, so that, that, that is a common question I have all the time. And again, we may not have time to go into it now, but as someone gets older, someone in their 60s or 70s might be too young. But the option of a reverse mortgage is a conversation mm-hmm. I have probably a couple of times a week. I don't sell them. I don't, I don't get compensated in any way, but I have to educate my clients on the 
benefits and the shortfalls of utilizing reverse mortgage, because frequently, Ron, to your point, their house could be their most valuable asset. Right, right. Yeah, I think there are lots of things in that equation to think about. I mean, uh, certainly um, there's the comfort of staying there. There is, mm-hmm. but in a lot of cases, you've paid off your mortgage, so you have equity in the house that you can use. Um, and then you, but you've got to figure out other things like, well, how much is it costing to maintain this house? And I think mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, from a, um, you know, monthly budgetary perspective, like, okay, um, you know, th- think about that because th- there's a cost to staying there as well. And should you be, you know, shifting your um, income toward, toward, you know, downsizing. So I think that that's a conversation, but I think, I think also in terms to your point about planning before, I think it's something that people don't plan too much. They just say, well, I want to stay here until something happens to them (laughs) and then they have to move. And then sometimes that's not the best thing to do. No, because number one, it might be out of their control and maybe in control of their children, right? Their children may want to put them someplace that they don't want to go. Um, or they, they may have to be, they may be forced to move in with one of their children. And I've had clients who've said to me, that's the last place I want to be. So you're right. Frequently people do not deal with this crisis until it literally, you know, springs up on them one morning and, and now, and now the race is on. Right. Right. So do you advise, I mean, is it possible to get your clients to have what I call a family conversation with their spouse and their kids, like once a year, at least to sort of say, well, where are we now? Mm-hmm. It happened twice on Friday. I, oh. I, I did zoom two zoom calls on Friday. Um, one, one was a couple in their mid eighties, but again, what precipitated the call Ron was dad has been in a nursing home twice, the, not a nursing home, a rehab facility right. twice this year. Right. So, so what they knew who I was, I knew who they were. They let mom and dad be, they were independent, but now that mom, that mom and dad are deteriorating a little bit, it's not a rush, but there's a little bit more urgency in knowing what they have, what it all means, what's at risk, what can we protect? And those are in, and yes, I probably should have had that conversation a year or two ago, but these are well-intentioned people, but life gets in the way and now they're dealing it because it, it literally is right in front of them. Right. Right. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but I think that that's something that, um, you know, you, you do have to sort of think about these things before you're ready. You know, if, if you're, if you're ready right now, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's not too late, but it's harder. You know, you have fewer options and in many cases you've got to make some choices. you probably didn't want to have to make, you know. Um, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, because like that, so they asked me about, you know, Medicare planning. So here's mm-hmm. a man, he's 85. He's been hospitalized twice this year and Medicare planning involves a five-year look back. So does it really make sense now to move uh, a seven, a multi seven figure account into an irrevocable trust in hope he makes it five years um, so these, so are, this is Medicaid planning, right? Medi- yes. Medicaid, right. Medicare planning. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you can do both. Yeah. But it, right. Yeah. So you're right. So you're saying it doesn't make sense to do that at this point. Right. Look, none of us have a crystal ball, right? But, but 
it, it is a difficult conversation that I have to have with children saying, do we really think mom or dad are going to make it the five-year period? Right, right. Okay. So we're going to take another quick break, uh, Michael, uh, but don't go anywhere, folks. Uh, we still have one more vital segment coming up with Michael Hartsman. So we'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Michael Hartsman, the co-host of a national weekly radio show called The Leventhal Report, as well as uh, he is president of Leventhal Financial Services. So before the break, uh, we were talking about a number of things about the first half of the year and what things have been happening. And so we wanted to use this last segment to talk about, well, what do you think is going to happen uh, in the next six months and how should we think about it and prepare for it? Um, you know, Ron, if you remember, I said the reason that we're going through this inflationary period is because the economy is strong. Right. The job market is strong. The economy is strong. The consumer is strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason, and the and the reason that's the case is, I think for two years we will not two years, maybe a year and a half. It's loosened up the last six months. We were just locked away. We couldn't go. We couldn't go to City Field, the Yankee Stadium, or right. pursue our hobbies, or hop on a plane and see our grandchildren. So there's an enormous amount of pet, pent up demand, which is what drove, contributed to driving prices up. 
Right. And the other part of that was we heard a lot about there were supply chain shortages. Right. Well, there were supply chain shortages for two reasons. One, yes, factories were shut down and Mm -hmm. Asian countries were much more restrictive than we were here. But not only were there Asian countries shut down, but there was a tremendous amount of demand for these products, right? Right. So as we enter the second half of the year, there is some cautious optimism that the Federal Reserve is now getting a handle on inflation, raising interest rates appropriately enough that they will start to slow down the economy. The problem is, as we as we go through the second half of the year and into 2023, Ron, is the all word. Mm-hmm. Are we going to slip into a recession? Right. Are we in a recession? Will it be a short recession? Will it be a long recession? Um, you know, what does all that mean to investing? So right now we have to get through the first problem, and that is we have to get inflation under control. We have to have a handle on where interest rates are going. And then the second problem is, are we in a recession now? When when will we have this recession, if at all? And I saw a headline over the weekend that I thought was pretty, pretty spot on. And that is, will we talk ourselves into a recession? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I mentioned there's a lot of pent up demand, a lot of, a lot of consumer spending. However, if the consumer hears over and over and over again that we're going into a recession, maybe maybe they don't buy that 4K TV. Maybe they don't take that trip to Disney World, right? Maybe they don't eat out on Saturday and Sunday. Maybe they just go out Saturday. So we can talk ourselves into a recession. We can, as an economy, um, scare ourselves into slowing our spending down, which quite frankly is what the Federal Reserve wants, by the way, right? They want to slow us down. And and their balancing act is not to slow us down enough to cause that recession. But even if we do, we've been through recessions before right. and we will get through it. Right. Yeah. I, and I think sometimes we focus too much on recessions as opposed to slowdown. So as you just said, you know, at some point, you know, you want to, you do want to slow things down. You're, you're outspending what you really need to do. And that could be, you know, on a personal level, as well as a, a national level in mm-hmm. terms of our, you know, our overall economy and government spending. So those are, you know, big issues. I recognize it, but I think that, um, you know, so there's also a technical analysis of recessions, right? So it's right. It's consecutive um, quarters. Is that right? And where, where there's, well, you know, it's funny because now, now, now the last week I've, I've read, that's the back of the napkin definition, right? There's actually a more official definition, but yes, the, 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 the basic definition of a recession is two negative quarters of GDP gross domestic product. Right. Right. So I think we, we, we focus on that a lot, you know, in terms of, oh, we are now we're in a recession, you know, but it's just like, well, we're in a slowdown. OK, it, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. And I think I, I just feel that, you know, again, it, it's a lot of times it's a matter of relativity. You know, what, mm-hmm. are, what are we facing? And, and sometimes the change comes quickly. So, you know, we, we create some panic and or at least some, 
You know, I just, I just feel sometimes we're the anxiety society. <laughs> and I think that it's good to have a little bit of anxiety because you need to pre be prepared. But I think we need to kind of take a step back and just, you know, again, okay, make some adjustments. You know, as you've just mentioned before, like, well, all right, maybe we'll just go out to eat one less time a mm -hmm. month or so. It's not the worst in the world. You know, I think that, you know, look, I, I don't, you know, belittle, you know, people who are going through financial difficulties, but I, you know, at the same time, I do acknowledge, well, my God, you know, we are not Ukraine here, you know, and, you know, so my, my outlook for the year isn't, isn't based upon, you know, missiles hitting Long Island, you know, I mean, it's right. uh, so I, and again, I don't mean to be uh, flip or facetious about it, but I, and to not recognize people going through financial difficulties, but, but we, we are a pretty resilient country, you know, we could make a lot of changes. And, and one of them I think is, uh, you know, you and I've talked about before is just the issue of consumer spending. Um, so, you know, th this is something that has sort of bothered me a little bit just because I do know, you know, everyone talks about um, consumer spending is two thirds of the economy. So uh, yes, uh, it's clearly critical to the health of the economy, but it seems to me that sometimes, you know, the health of the economy as well as our personal health is can benefit from slowing down consumer spending. Yeah. You know, look, a lot of people said to me that while the pandemic and the shutdown was scary, it also was a little calming not have to worrying about where they were going to be Friday and where they were going to run to and their next trip or, or, you know, a lot of people enjoyed just knowing that they had nowhere to be. And your other point, Ron, you mentioned about the level of anxiety and you're the old newspaper man. Right. Well, one of my favorite expressions is if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? right. So whenever, whatever, whenever, what I do for a living is on a headline, that's an uh oh moment for me, because mm -hmm. that means that that, you know, the business world has gotten the, you know, the media's attention and it's never for a good reason. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that you also know from a, a financial perspective and as an you know investor that sometimes when the headline uh, is in the paper, the trend is past, yes. <laughs> you know, it, yes. it's just because, because that's what we do. We report on things that have happened. Um, and so, okay, it's happened. Um, but one of my other uh, watchwords is sort of, um, um, you know, we're, we're not very good at predicting the future. What we're good at is predicting the past. You know? <laughs> So we predict the future based upon what's happened, which is certainly, you know, it's, it's a viable theory uh, because certainly, you know, even if you go by things like the weather, the, uh, the best predictor of tomorrow's weather is today, you know, until of course it's not <laughs> right. Cause it will rain. Something will be different tomorrow. Um, but I, so I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't um, uh, be anxious about what's going on today. But things do change and in ways that we don't predict. Um, so my um, business is notorious, Ron, for antidotal evidence. Right. Right. I get so much data on what has happened in the past as a predictive of what should happen in the future. It's ridiculous. And I learned a valuable lesson in 2008. 
Because in 2008, when Bear Stearns was on the brink of going bankrupt, you know, there was enough anecdotal evidence to say that'll never happen. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Bear Stearns went out of business, along with Lehman Brothers and and many, many others, which were on the brink of it. So you're right. If we if 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 we just if we just kind of try to stay in the present and stay in the moment and get through this crisis without worrying about the other 52 we experienced, mm-hmm. it might be easier. Right, right. So we're, we're getting close to the end here, unfortunately. But yeah, any last thoughts about how to um, create, a, how to maintain a, a low-stress plan <laughs> for financial success? You, you, you know, Ron, D- Dominic, Dominic Tavella and I talk about it frequently on our podcast. And, and, and the reason the podcast came to be, just so you know, was during the pandemic, we did a lot of Zoom calls with our clients mm-hmm. and they wanted to hear what we thought. We had guests on and economists on and, the, and the, the feedback we got from our clients were, you guys are pretty good at this. You guys should, you know, have a radio show. So rather than having a radio show, um, not that we knew how to even do that, um, Dominic and I decided to uh, produce his podcast over Voice America. Right. And, and our goal every week is just to bring common sense advice to our clients and our listeners. And for me, Ron, it's the same thing. It's about time horizon and has your needs or goals changed? And if they have, it's really super important you communicate that to your advisor, whether it's your accountant, your lawyer, your financial advisor. It's about time horizon and goals. And if they have not changed, you will get, we will get through this like we've gotten through the others. Great, great. Okay, once again, uh, you've been a terrific guest um, with some really important messages, Michael. Uh, Now, in the last few minutes, uh, if people have questions or comments for you, what's the best way for them to reach you? So my email is mhartzman, M-H-A-R-T-Z-M-A-N, at Labenthal, L-E-B-E-N-T-H-A-L.com. Or my phone number is 516-349-5555. Great. Great. Okay. And then I think you, people can also reach you on LinkedIn or Facebook. Yes. You've got presence there. Well, um, so folks, uh, again, if you, if you miss my conversation with Michael today, you can listen to it as a podcast at voiceamerica.com. Just search for my show 45 forward. Uh, you can also find it on Apple and Google podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Go to my website, rowellresources.com, click on the 45 forward tab. So uh, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Roberta Israeloff, George McDermott, the co-authors of What Went Right. Uh, this is the second of a three-part summer series uh, with a conversation with my former high school classmate and one of our English teachers about their lifetime of experiences in education. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.